You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for Fansided and Pro Football Weekly. And I am on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. And you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. It is Wednesday, and there's a couple things that we're going to get to today. The first is we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Rams and what they're doing and and why you should be a little bit more wary of it than I think some Packer fans are. I, I understand that there is a desire to see the team make some moves and you see a team in the NFC being aggressive and you go, why not me? I get that. We're going to get to that. And then in the second block of the show, we're going to talk about the Packers taking visits and some of the players that they're meeting with, why they might be meeting with them, and what it says about where they're looking in the draft. All of that is still to come. And later in the show, I want to get to maybe a couple of players that have not been mentioned. Some guys who are, are, this this was a suggestion to me, I liked the idea of maybe an atypical idea of what the top of the draft could look like for Green Bay. So we're going to do that at the end of the show. But let's start with the Los Angeles Rams because they made another enormous move on Tuesday when they traded for Brandon Cooks. And Cooks was a player who had some huge seasons in New Orleans, went to New England, and I think he he was solid. He was what you sort of expected. He did not allow the Patriots to light the world on fire the way that, that I think a lot of people expected them to. The Patriots were, were very good last year. I think there's some of their numbers, their, the advanced analytics overstated how good they were because the AFC was so bad overall. Uh, but they were still, you know, one or two plays away from the Super Bowl. That's how good they are. That's how good Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are. And they were able to get Brandon Cooks for a first, the 32nd pick. And they were able to unload him for a pick in the 20s, the 23rd pick. So they got a year out of Brandon Cooks. He served his usefulness to them. He's going to need a contract this time next year. And so they get a first-round pick. That is great for the Patriots. Now, the Rams, this is after a slew of moves for them. First, they trade for Aqib Tlaib. And they trade for Marcus Peters. They sign in Dominican Sue. They were linked to Odell Beckham Jr. Now they they will not likely make that move after after acquiring Brandon Cooks, but they also made a deal uh, trading Robert Quinn. They still don't have a pass rusher on the outside. They have two outstanding ones on the interior with Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, but they don't have one on the outside. They traded Alec Ogletree, so they have a pretty gaping hole at linebacker, and they had a big hole at receiver opposite Robert Woods until now. But here is the interesting thing about what they're doing. So let's just, let's back up for a second. So here is what they have realized. Jared Goff 
is on track to be a very good quarterback. And and at least that is true with Sean McVay in the fold. With him on a rookie contract, that is the most valuable asset in sports. A good quarterback on a rookie contract. Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott. We've seen how valuable this can be. And so what they've decided is, we're going to go all in in this window. This is our window to make these moves. So we're going to bring in a bunch of guys, either on short-term deals or whatever, and we're going to go for it in 2018. What's interesting, though, is they're going to have to pay Aaron Donald like now. And it sounds like the window for negotiating that contract is going to be after the draft. They're going to get that worked out. He held out going into the 2017 season, remember. And this is going to be a huge deal for Donald, the biggest in NFL history for a non-quarterback, potentially the biggest ever for a defensive player, potentially. And that's going to have huge repercussions in their salary cap. Next year, they have a lot of players that they're going to have to sign. And Damakin Sue is going to come up in a year. LaMarcus Joyner is playing on the franchise tag this year. They're going to have to come up with a contract for Marcus Peters at some point. Aqib Tlaib is not going to be worth the money in all likelihood a year from now. So 2018 is the window. That is what they have decided. 2018 is the window. Brandon Cooks, by the way, comes up a year from now. So they're giving up a first round pick for one season, potentially, of Brandon Cooks. There's no guarantee. I mean, they can franchise him, but there's no guarantee he comes back. And if he does come back, they're going to have to pay him a lot of money. So with the receiver market the way it is, that's going to be an expensive contract. Whether it's the franchise tag, the transition tag, or they have to just re-up him, that is some serious cash. They are better than they were last year. Are we sure they're the best team in the in the conference even? I mean, Philadelphia is going to be really good. Atlanta is going to be really good. New Orleans is going to be really good. I think Green Bay is going to be really good. Minnesota is going to be really good. San Francisco in their own division is going to be much better than they were last year. So they've gone all in here. And if they're just slightly less healthy than they were last year, if the offensive line is not as good as it was, or if Todd Gurley plays more like he did in 2016 than he did in 2017, this could be a very different team. I, I think the offense still has some question marks. So this is, when, when you look at what they've done, and I, and I, I think the move for Talib and, and Marcus Peters, while you're adding volatility to your locker room, those are moves that you can live with, you can make. I think getting Marcus Peters for relatively cheap, that's a good move. But putting him in a locker room with Aqib Talib and... and and Damakin Sue now, and I know he's been a good teammate, but he is a volatile guy on the field. There's a reason why teams don't do this. And there's also a reason, by the way, we don't hand out Super Bowl trophies in the spring. The Eagles put together the dream team. We know how that looked, how that worked out. Washington, how many off seasons did they win? The Giants, they won it two seasons ago, and Green Bay beat them in the playoffs despite all of their fancy acquisitions. And then look what happened to them a year later. That is what the Rams could be facing in 2019. They could just fall off a cliff if they, even, even if they win the Super Bowl. And, and if you're Les Snead and if you're ownership and, and you're whoever, if you're a Rams fan, you say that's worth it. But is it worth it? 
When you have a young nucleus, when you have Todd Gurley and Aaron Donald and Jared Goff, and you hit on a free agent acquisition like Robert Woods, and you have young talent on this roster that you can build and you can build sustainably, and you already are down top picks. I mean, the Rams, the Rams don't have draft picks now. They didn't have a first last year. They're not going to have a first this year. That is not how you build sustainably for the future. So if you're a Packers fan and you're looking at this, in a, in a vacuum, you can look at one or two of these moves and say, well, Green Bay could have done that. They should have been in for that. But if you look at the totality of the moves, and remember, this is how I have insisted all offseason, it has to be taken in full context. It has to encompass everything that's been done to this point. The Rams have over-leveraged themselves in 2018, and they still have to pay through the nose for Aaron Donald. They're going to have to give Todd Gurley a new contract. They're going to have to give Brandon Cooks a new contract. There are financial implications to making these moves, and we haven't even fully, fully touched on what could happen if the personalities don't mix or if the Sean McVay offense doesn't look like as much of a miracle in year two as it year and did one, as it did in year one, or if Todd Gurley struggles with injury, or if if God forbid Jared Goff gets hurt. This is why teams don't do this, and I, I applaud Les Snead and the organization for being forward thinking in this way and saying this is this is something that teams kind of do, but they haven't gone as all in as they could. The Eagles did this to some extent. They said we're going to maximize. We're going to throw a bunch of money at Alshon Jeffrey, a one-year $14 million deal to come in and, and see if he can't lead us to a Super Bowl. We're going to make some trades. We're going to trade for Jay Ajayi. We're going to trade for Michael Bennett now. Now, obviously, those aren't free agent moves, but what they've done is say, we have a rookie quarterback who is good on a rookie quarterback contract, and that is a valuable asset that we're going to utilize to our advantage. The Rams have just taken that to the nth degree. But I think if you're a Packers fan, you say, okay, congrats, guys. If you don't win it next year, there's you like the path to getting there in 2019, they're not only not closer to getting there, they could be potentially much further away. And if you're a team like Green Bay, you build every year. You build with infrastructure and you add. And, and I have been critical of Ted Thompson at times for not adding more on the margins, not adding players like Tremont Williams or Jordan Matthews, who is who is set to visit the Titans after meeting with the Packers and the Patriots. I think he could still be in play for the Packers if if the Titans don't don't give him what he's looking for money-wise. But the way to build a team is the way that Green Bay builds a team, more or less. I think if you add some a little bit more in terms of the free agency, I think the perfect GM looks like Ted Thompson plus this version of Brian Gutekinds. And that could just be Brian Gutekinds, by the way. Because we know where Gutekinds learned his trade. Before I move on, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge subscription giveaway. Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes, and you'll be entered to win our Edge subscription giveaway. It's a $39.99 value. I want to give you a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription that gets you access to all sorts of NFL drafts content, college charting, pro charting, fantasy football content in a couple months from now. The drafts are going to be here before you know it. 
once the NFL draft is here, like two months later, you're going to have people coming to you and saying, hey, fantasy football, do you want to do it? And you need to be prepared. So enter this contest, and I want to give you all sorts of content behind the paywall. Name, Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes. There were some stories that came out Tuesday about players the Packers were meeting with. And it was reported Vita Vea from Washington was going to meet with Green Bay and Leighton Vander Esch was going to meet with basically every team from 12 to 26. Now, another report said he was not going to meet with Green Bay. I've been told the Packers are interested in Vander Esch. So just because they don't bring him in for a visit doesn't mean that they're not still interested. But as I, as I mentioned last week, Mike Hughes came in for a visit or was scheduled to do that. And he didn't quite meet the criteria for Green Bay. Now, Van Der Esch does. Vita Vea does not have official workout numbers, so we don't know if he does, but he is on track to easily do it. My assumption would be that that he would meet the requirements that the Packers tend to have with their with their players at defensive line. But what's more interesting is under Ted Thompson, the Packers didn't make public these visits. And also, they tended not to have visits with first, second, third round players. A lot of teams will use these visits to vet first round players. What the Packers did often with Ted Thompson was say, we're going to get a head start on scouting and making connections with priority free agents, guys who are not going to be drafted, but will have a lot of interest. And what's interesting there is there are going to be guys who don't get drafted, who teams thought should have been drafted, and teams fight over them and have to offer guaranteed contracts in some cases to get some of these players. And so what the Packers do is they get ahead, or used to do with Ted Thompson, is they would get a head start. They'd bring guys in who are going to be priority free agents, get to know them a little bit, let, let them know that they're interested, and just lay the groundwork. They lay the foundation. What we what we never heard about and what it seemed like didn't often happen was Green Bay didn't use those pre-draft visits. Each team is allotted a certain amount. You can't just have anybody in willy-nilly. Is if they're meeting with players that are going to be around in the first round, they are breaking from the tradition set under Ted Thompson. Now, I bring this up again because if you take the Mike Hughes arrival, and you know, remember, again, we're talking about two-fifths of an inch below the, the considered what's considered their threshold, then you add this additional change, this break from their historical process, and, and you start to see that this could be a more different draft process under Brian Gutekinds than perhaps we thought. That maybe some of those old ways of doing things in terms of the athletic profiles, the Packers prioritize, the pre-draft process, the interview process, that maybe Brian Gutekinds thought there was a better way to do it. And as I said, when, when Gutekinds was hired, to allay some of the fears that Packer fans had about, oh, this is just Ted Thompson 2.0, was how many how many people do you know, including yourself, who believe that your boss is doing things that could be done better? Even if you like your boss, even if you think your boss is smart 
and, and good at his or her job, how many of you think that if you were in charge, you would change three or four things to do them differently? I would, I would wager most of you feel that way or at least know someone who feels that way. Depending on your job, you may, you may be in charge. You may be the boss or you may think your boss is perfect. I, I doubt that. Just because you grew up and learned in a certain culture doesn't necessarily mean you believe that that culture and the processes contained therein are infallible. And we've seen that when former Ted Thompson disciples go other places. They don't keep everything in place. They make changes. They sign players in free agency. They bring in guys pre-draft. Clearly, that was a Ted Thompson principle. That is not necessarily something that Brian Gutekunst is going to stick to. Do I think that any of the three names that I mentioned are likely to be Packers picks at 14? I don't. I think those three names are guys who the Packers are going to do their due diligence on, but just don't quite make sense at 14, both based on value and fit. I have Vita Vea as the 14th best player in this draft, and I have Mike Hughes at 20. I have Van Der Esch a little bit further, but he's pretty much now seen, after testing as a freak athlete, seen as a consensus first-round player. What is interesting to me is the potential that these could be this could be a due diligence process related to trading down, not up. Remember, we went through the process of potentially trading down, and then we, we looked into trading up when the Packers' cornerback situation was a mess. And given some of these names, now maybe the Packers stay put and pick someone like Mike Hughes. I, don't, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think he's a very talented player. There are a couple corners I would prefer ahead of him, assuming they're available. Josh Jackson and Jair Alexander being two of those players. But I think he makes sense given what they need. He could return kicks. He could play in the slot. There's a lot of things that he would bring to this team. I, Vita Vea, I've said this before. I think he's an incredible player. I think he is an outstanding interior pass rusher and run defender. I don't think he makes sense for this team. Not given the the, the, the strength of the Packers roster is the defensive line. They have too many other needs at premium positions. And there will be players to be had. Someone like Harold Landry or Marcus Davenport or Derwin James or Josh Jackson, or Justin Reed, one of those guys is going to be there at 14, and the Packers are going to be able to pick them. Taking a player who, best case scenario, is going to play 30% of snaps for you next year. And remember, we have to think about more than just year one. But if Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels continue to be good, and Muhammad Wilkerson plays well enough to get a second contract in Green Bay, where is Vita Vea? Why would you allocate high-end draft capital to a player who, if your team plays out the way you want it to play out, is not going to be a heavy rotation level player. And what's more is there are other guys, good interior players, to be had later in the draft if that's a place that you want to fortify. That's fine. I just don't think it makes sense for them. I don't think we've seen a name yet in terms of a pre-draft visit that is linked to Green Bay that would be a preferred pick at 14. You are listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local daily sports podcast network. Be sure to catch up on everything new across the NFL with Locked On NFL and with Locked On NFL Draft. 
as I mentioned earlier in the show, I had a request from a, a fan that I thought was really interesting. And that was, what would a, a non-narrative draft look like? Non-consensus was, I think, the word that he used. And that was another way of saying there are a lot of players that have been put on the board for the Packers at 14. Harold Landry, Marcus Davenport, Josh Jackson, Derwin James, Denzel Ward. But who are players who could be there at 14? And and he looked at the trade-up that I that I had, the, the mock that I did for fan-sided that involved the trade-up back into the first round. And I'll do it both ways. So at 14, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which one of the guys that is being talked about is not available there. But let's say fewer quarterbacks go at the top of the draft than we think, and more of the pass rushers do. And so at 14, someone like, I think this would be unlikely, but let's say one of the linebackers is there. There's a, there's a rush on pass rushers, no pun intended, and Landry and Davenport go at the top of the draft. Um, Derwin James goes, Fitzpatrick goes, Ward goes. And they're left with someone like Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmonds. I think that's a viable possibility in this draft, given the way that it looks. Now, Tremaine Edmonds has, over the course of this offseason and into his pro day, tested crazy athletic. He's 19. But I think he's he's someone that could be there at 14 and make sense. Now, this is a name that I've given you before, Justin Reed from Stanford. Six foot, 207, runs 4-4, elite change of direction ability, played in the slot, played as a linebacker, played as a deep safety. I think you could say, hey, you're you're our new slot corner. You're our new Morgan Burnett. We're going to play you as a safety, but we're also going to play you as a de facto linebacker sometimes. We might let Josh Jones play some linebacker. Now, you're going to play deep in two deep situations. And, oh, by the way, you're going to be our slot corner. And in nickel, if their base package is nickel with someone like Justin Reed, who's really a safety, now you're not giving up as much as you would if that were a corner. And the the problem for the Packers the last few years dating back to to since Charles Woodson left, is their corners have not tackled well enough. Kevin King can tackle and has shown a willingness to do so. Tremont Williams at least will give effort. If if your third corner is really a safety, he's going to come up and fly around and try and make some plays, and Justin Reed will do that. And I do think there is a situation where someone like Minka Fitzpatrick, for all the reasons I just gave about Justin Reed, if he's there at, at 14, I think he makes all the sense for the reason that I that I just gave for Justin Reed. Uh, if they're gonna if they're gonna go a little off book, I think Jair Alexander from Louisville, freak athlete, pretty similar in terms of of the the discrepancies with the, the Packers traditions with Mike Hughes, but is actually a, a better athlete. That could be someone that could be in play at 14. Now, let's say they trade back into the first round, somewhere in that 22 to 26 range. Someone like Sam Hubbard, as an outside linebacker defensive end type, could make a lot of sense. Someone like Dante Jackson, again, if they're going to issue these requirements for height, he is a twitched-up speed demon at LSU. And he could play in the slot, he could play outside, I think he he could do a lot of things for them. 
I think you could be looking at a receiver. Do they take someone like Cortland Sutton if he's there? Do you trade back into the first for someone like that? I think that's that's a name to keep an eye on as well. Frankly, look, if their preferred defenders are off the board at 14 and and that just it is what it is, I'd just be fine taking Cortland Sutton. I've said that from the jump before I even got a chance to study any of these players when the season was over. This was pre-free agency. I said my best case scenario for Green Bay is Sutton at 14. Now, I, I don't feel that way now, but the fact that he could be there at 45 for Green Bay, I mean, come on. I think Cortland Sutton is one of the 10 best players in this draft. And if he's there at 45, it's a no-brainer. But so let's let's look there too, because there have been some other names that, that the Packers have been connected to. I know a lot of Packer fans want Lorenzo Carter. But I think someone like Austin Corbett, the guard from Nevada, could be in play there. I think a receiver like DJ Chark could be in play there. The name that I have that I really like is Uchenna Nwosu, who played some Sam linebacker and some Rush linebacker for USC. 6'2, 251, but can move, can run, can play in space. I think he'd be an ideal eventual replacement, but backup for now to Clay Matthews at that Mike Patton Sam linebacker spot, I think. Um, Agbo Okunrakwo for the same reasons at Oklahoma. If he's there at 45, that makes a ton of sense. Those are some names that have been discussed. I think Anthony Miller from Memphis, the receiver, a little undersized, but is just so sudden, so fluid as an athlete that he could be in play at 45 as well. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if a name like Tyrell Crosby from Oregon is is there and in play. Could play right tackle, could be insurance for Bulaga, could play guard in a pinch. There's a lot that's gonna be decided over the course of the next few weeks. And and I'm I'm getting through my my film study of all these guys. I've got about 15 or 20 players that I that I still want to get to. Uh, I'm gonna have a lot more content about Green Bay. I put up that roadmap, I, I teased that on Monday, that roadmap for the Packers draft. And we're actually going to go through it on Friday, I think. I wanted to give people time to read it. It it just went up uh, earlier in the week. But we're going to go through that roadmap and try and figure out where it makes sense for Green Bay to make picks based on on who they like and who they could like and who they need mixed with who could be available because that opportunity cost has to be built into their drafting strategy. We're going to get all of that on Friday, and then we'll be back on Monday for another set of shows, all of that a lot more. Remember, you can ask me questions. Segment ideas, I love it. Give it to me, at Peter underscore Bukowski on Twitter, at Locked on Packers. Remember, all of the podcast content is at LockedOnPackers.com, which means you have no excuse not to stay Locked on Packers.